This is Foxhole Partner Podcast number eight. I am Joe DeLisi, and um, I think I've got a lot to cover today. It's been a while since I've been able to sit down and uh, do a podcast. Actually, you know what? I'm going to take that back. That's not true. Um, I've had time. I just haven't done it. Simple, simple as that. Actually, I've had more time probably on my hands recently than I've had um, in almost 20 years in this business. Um, and you know, some of that's what I want to talk about today. I have been not on social media a lot recently. Um, specifically like Instagram, I, I, you know, it's weird at 43 years old, I guess I'm in the demographic now where, you know, I'm an old guy and Facebook is like for old people. (laughs) And, um, that's where I, I kind of spend most of my time, but even then, not really. I, I just, I'm just not on it that much except when I'm posting. Um, but certainly I just can't, I just can't go on Instagram and spend any time on there, or really any of the other areas either. And not, not because I think they're dumb or stupid, but the people that I tend to follow are um, in the financial world, or they are coaches themselves, or they, you know, they, they are athletes, maybe that kind of stuff. And what I've what I've come to find is that everybody talks a good game, um, and, and this is not really a knock. I, I don't I don't know much about these people. Uh, and I think that's the problem. Meaning, they talk a big game. They talk about the the things they've had to endure, and on and on and on. But when I actually Google them and, and kind of check them out, I don't really find a lot of background on these people. I don't know what they've done. Uh, there's a guy out there in particular. I'm not going to name his name because I just don't want him to have any more followers. And uh, the guy spends all day videoing all the improvements they're they're doing to their home. Um, he spends all day talking about body and hydration and this and the other thing. And yet I never see him working out. I literally, like I've never seen the guy work out. I see him do other stuff. Um, I see him take IVs even in, you know, to increase his, uh, whatever his, his, I don't know, his, his health. Um, literally every shortcut in, in the book, I see this guy do, but I never actually see him putting in any work. And Yet he's a coach, a business coach, and but when you look at it, uh, his history there's there's nothing, there's no background. It says he was in real estate, but it doesn't really talk about when or where or, or any of that stuff. And I, I don't know about you, but I just I find that more and more uh, out there in social media land. Um, and what occurred to me with the Victor Marks podcast, which is a few podcasts back, if you haven't listened to that, go go check it out. Um, Victor is a, is a friend of mine, a guy who took me through, a, uh, one of the men who took me through a very dark time in my life, and um, I, I just credit him with a lot. It's a, it was a good podcast, but what struck me on the feedback was that a lot of you guys were sort of amazed at um, the story of my divorce and you know the things that I shared on the podcast, and I didn't even really go that deep. <clears throat> and so it struck me that even the people who in my audience who do know me, who have seen me speak over the years, you know, I've got a limited, um, I guess, uh, what do you call it, audience in the financial planning world because I've, I've been coaching and speaking in that area for 12, 13 years or so. So a lot of people know me from that. But even those people who've known me for a long time don't really know a lot of my history, um, which is weird because when I'm when I'm in my my main business of financial advising and I'm sitting with clients, I actually share a lot of this with them. Um, I show them my balance sheet. I actually show them my tax returns. And my balance sheet is something that's updated every day. 
it's aggregated. It's, it's automatic, meaning you know you, you, I can't fudge it. <laughs> so clients see exactly where I put my money, and um, they can see it where I make my money. Uh, I'm very transparent in that regard, not because I'm a super nice guy, just because I know that's. Requ- I mean, it's just required. Pe- people are just, you know, they're just being inundated with fake, phony. Um, it seems like the more access we have to people, the less actual access we get to people. And that's hindering relationships. It's hindering um, uh, growth. It's hindering sales for sure. And so this tends to be a, a podcast that deals with um, you know self-development, sales, business, all those types of things rolled into one. So I thought I would spend a little bit of time today um, taking you through my history and not for any other reason than I, <laughs> when I listen to a podcast, I actually like to know about the people. Um, I listen, I used to anyway, listen a lot to uh, the Jocko podcast, Jocko Willink. Uh, great guy. If you've not followed any of his stuff, I'd go check him out. Really good leadership podcast. Um, but I don't tend to st- stay with any one podcast for too long. I don't know why. I just sort of bounce around. Uh, Gary Vaynerchuk, same thing. So these guys, Vaynerchuk and Jocko and um, others that I've kind of bumped around over time, um, I, I really want to know who they are before I can listen to what they're saying. And surprise, surprise, I think that's what people lack in the sales world. Um, Whether you be in financial sales, car sales, um, business building in general, you know, fitness, anything really. If if people don't know who you are, um, it's harder for them to listen to you. It's harder for them to hear you. So, I have a group that I coach out of Atlanta. Um, it's a group of seven or eight uh, folks in the financial business. And one of the things I did with them last year, um, because not all of them knew who I was, I, I took them through a presentation I just called the the Joe DeLisi baseball card. And I kind of, you know, I grew up in the 80s where collecting baseball cards was, was all, I mean, I, I did it all the time. I loved it. I sold them, I bought them, I traded them, I loved it. Um, but I always loved looking at the back of the baseball card. And what I noticed um, was good players were pretty much always good players and bad players were pretty much always bad players. Like you, you really rarely saw, you know what you did see? You, you did see very normally um, a solid player, a very, very good player who would have a really bad year. Um, you know, maybe somebody who always hit uh, maybe 280 to say 300 or so, <clears throat> and then they'd put up a, a 220 batting average one year, and then they'd be right back at it the next year. And even as a kid, I, I remember kind of like looking at that and going, what happened that one year that would throw them off that much? And, you know, how do they deal with it? Like, how do they go from the guy hits 300 every year to hit 220? And the fans are saying, oh, you know, he stinks, he sucks, and saying anything, all the boos come down. It's, it's happening right now. You know, I'm a Yankee fan, and I'm watching this season unfold, early season here, and Giancarlo Stanton is the newest Yankee. Um, the guy is the reigning National League most valuable player. He played for the Marlins last year. Dude hit 59 freaking home runs, and he's played a grand total of maybe 20 baseball games as a Yankee. And he's, he's stinking up the joint right now. He's just, his swing's not right. I think he's got three home runs. He struck out about half his plate appearances. And people are booing the guy. As if the back of his baseball card means nothing. You know, all of a sudden, he just stinks. <laughs> and that's just amazing to me. Because these guys have to keep their confidence level up. And they have to perform regardless of what people are saying about them. And we see that unfold in 
in baseball or, or hockey or whatever, um, but it happens in life too. And one of my biggest jobs that I have with the clients that I work with one-on-one, even in groups, but specifically one-on-one or in small groups, what I found is that most of you out there that, that, um, that work with me, really what you're looking for is you're really looking for me to help build your confidence. Um, and we can speak to that a little bit, maybe towards the end of the podcast. It's, it's an article I wrote. It's on my uh, website, uh, foxholepartner.com. And it's just, it's called Don't Believe the Lie. Um, and there, there's a lot of stuff going on in, in, inside of people's heads, but understand something. Pretty much, I think what everybody wants is they want the success. I mean, we want, we want success. Uh, nobody's saying, oh, I don't want to be successful. That's why you listen to podcasts. That's why you read books. Um, you want it, but you want it to cost you nothing. <laughs> you want it to be super easy, and that's never going to happen. Um, it's going to cost you time. It's going to cost you money. Frankly, it's going to cost you a lot of money. If you want to be the best, it's going to cost you money. You're going to have to go out there. You're going to have to try different things. You're going to have to go through unconventional learning is what I call it. Um, you're going to have to do things others aren't willing to do. And the sooner you do them, the better off you'll be. And here's why. It goes back to that baseball card thing. If I remember Raphael Belliard. He was a shortstop second baseman for the Pirates back in the 80s. Uh, maybe even the early 90s, and he eventually played for the Braves. And this guy was not a very good hitter. Uh, you know, he'd hit 220, 213, whatever. He might hit one home run a year, but he was a pretty big part of that team because um, he knew his role. He was a good role player. But, you know, four or five, six years into the big leagues and he posts those numbers every year, guess what? That guy was never going to be a 280 hitter or 300 hitter. Uh, now, for him, it's probably just a talent issue. He just maybe didn't have the talent to do so, but maybe he did. And maybe he just got used to hitting 220. And that's my fear for a lot of you, is that the more business years you put up hitting that metaphorical 220 and not hitting the 280, 290, 300, 320, the more years you put up those, those poor results, the less anybody's going to believe in you and the less they believe in you. I hate to tell you this, the less you're going to believe in yourself. Now, I know in self-help land, that's like, you know, nobody talks about that. It's, oh, don't don't care what people think about you and, um, you know, d- prove the haters wrong and all that kind of stuff. Okay. That's all well and good, but everybody out there listening knows for a fact that what people think of you bother you. And if you say it doesn't, you're just not being real or you're the only person in the history of mankind. And it just doesn't affect, it does affect you now, some more than others for sure, but it does affect you. It affects me. It definitely affects me. So you have to get to a level of competence or a level of production, however you want to kind of phrase it. You got to get the back of your baseball card um, to where your talent is being optimized as quickly as possible. And you got to sustain it because I got to tell you something in the years where things fall apart on you and, you know, like with an athlete, he might have an injury or his timing is off and people are booing you and all that kind of bad stuff's happening. The only way you can get through that is by looking at what you've done and just saying, yeah, I've done it though. I know I can do this. I've done it before. I'll do it again. I don't care what they say, but if you've never done it and then bad things happen, you're out of business. You know, I work in an industry where the retention rate is like a 90% failure and it's like acceptable. 
How can that be? How can it be that 90% of the people who come into my industry just suck and they just don't have what it takes? Uh, Maybe that's true, but I I mean, honestly, if it was just 70% failure, if if anybody could get it from 90 to 70, they would be a Hall of Fame business person in, in my industry, in the financial industry. So I say all that to kind of maybe do a little bit of a prelude for why I'm going to talk about my history in business. And and I'm going to make the numbers kind of um, generic uh, because people are listening to this from all different fields and and frankly, even different financial companies, not just the one that that, um, I primarily speak to. So I've been in the business since 1998. As I sit here today, it's 2018. We're 20 years in to this business, uh, financial advising. And I, I will tell you flat out, I don't care that this is financial advising I'm talking about. I remember back in 1998 when I started uh, at Northwestern Mutual Life, and I sat in a cubicle, and I was surrounded by people who weren't doing that great, let's just say that. And I had to listen to these people struggling every day on the phone, just struggling to make ends meet. And I was faced with this, you know, this future that I'm just thinking, oh my God, what did I get myself into? And who wants to buy life insurance? And I would look out the window. This is in Silver Spring, Maryland. I'd look out the window and look across the street at Lexus, the car dealership. And I remember thinking back then, you know, maybe, maybe I'll just, maybe I'll just walk out of here and never come back. <laughs> maybe I'll, maybe I'll go sell cars. Because, dude, if I can sell life insurance, I can sell cars. Like, everyone wants cars. Lexus, back then, I was, like, super cool. I was new. And I'm convinced, as, as sure as I sit here, that had I gone and sell Lexus, I would be doing phenomenal on that. Uh, I, I would just figure it out. You know, sales is sales. And, and, and dealing with people is dealing with people. If, if I had gotten into the, the home building business or into the, the home selling business or Whatever. I mean, I would have figured it out because I, I kind of understand how to make people transact. I get that. That's just a talent that I have. And the good news is that I had it, but the, the bad news is I had a lot of baggage to go along with me with that that I, had to, that I had to fix. And a lot of those that I know out there listening, you guys have talent too. I've seen it, but you're just not willing to move into the, the baggage of all the emotional stuff that you deal with that keeps you back from being successful. And you, you let tiny little things become the excuse to hold you back. And I've been there. So 20 years now in the sales of financial services. And I'm just going to kind of walk you through year by year, uh, maybe on a real high level, and just talk to you about what was going on in my life during that time. And I think for some of you guys, you'll, you'll hear it and you'll resonate. A lot of it will resonate because you've probably dealt with the, the same types of things. So here we go. In 1998, uh, as I just stated, I, I think I was about maybe, what, 23, 24 years old. Um, just left college. Uh, it took me a year longer to get through college um, uh, because I was an idiot, basically. And uh, I didn't figure out that you had a good... I, I didn't even know I didn't have a major, uh, frankly. At the University of Maryland, I showed up and I was a... Uh, a letters and sciences major because I just didn't have good enough test scores coming out of high school to actually be a ma- like I have a major, a business major. And um, I, I was on academic suspension my first year. I got a D in math 002, which is basically high school algebra as a freshman at University of Maryland. Um, yeah, I was like lighting the world on fire. And I just had no desire to really be in school. I was just sort of there biding my time. 
uh, I was still convinced I was going to have a future in some sort of sport. Uh, I was playing hockey, and, uh, and I, I still thought I'd be able to play baseball, but really I was thinking maybe hockey was the way. Um, and long story short, I got hurt. And the, the truth of the matter is I wasn't good enough anyway. So whether I blew my knee out or not was irrelevant. I was never going to play in the, <laughs> in the uh, National Hockey League. It wasn't going to happen. So it was probably better off that I blew my knee out as a freshman and figured out that, hey, you know, I'm in college. I better make the best of it. And I did. I, I turned it around. I mean, I, it's not like I became a, an econ major or, or a biz, even a business major. They wouldn't even let me in with those grades. I, I had to become a communication uh, major, interpersonal communication. So I graduate at the University of Maryland in uh, 1998 with a communication degree. Now, I did do well. I mean, I, got, I was Phi Beta Kappa and, uh, you know, presidents and industry leaders and um, just powerful attorneys. I mean, they've all been Phi Beta Kappa. And so it was kind of a cool honor. But the reality was still I was, I was graduating from University of Maryland with a communication degree. And I wind up at the, this Northwestern Mutual Life Company in 1998. It was my first year in business. I started in July, July 1st, 1998. And I had no money. <clears throat> I lived with four or maybe five other people at the time. Um, I, I had a d- decent car. I remember that. Uh, I mean, I was okay on the car front, but like I, I just I, I lived in a room and a house full of people. I owned one pair of dress slacks, I think two Banana Republic shirts, and two ties. A blue tie and a yellow tie. And that's all I had. And I didn't know anything about the product. I didn't know anything about financial sales or financial planning or insurance planning. or Nothing. Zero. But I did learn that I needed to see a lot of people and sell a lot of insurance. And that was the way I was going to make money. And I did it. And the way that my industry will, um, you know, aside from just income, the way they sort of, a lot of sales industries are like this. They have some sort of a club that you can hit, and every industry is different. You know, there might be like an inner circle or a president circle or a leaders club, whatever, whatever the case may be. Most, most corporations, industries have it. And in 1998, I qualified for that in my first six months in the business. And 1999 rolls around. And I remember in... in uh, financial advising, um, well, specifically in life insurance sales, um, one policy equals one life. And to sell 100 of them is a lot uh, for most people. And uh, especially as a 25-year-old at this time with no natural market, didn't know anybody, you know, no, no, I was not in like a traditional fraternity that I could call on or, or any of that. No family connections, nothing. So 1999 rolls around, I go out and I, I, do, it, I do it again. I make this club again in 1999. Still no, you know, apartment. Still, still nothing to my name. Um, just cold calling, picking up the phone and dialing random people out of an old fraternity phone book. That again, I was not in a frat, um, but my manager was, and so I used his phone book from the University of Virginia. I didn't go to Virginia. I went to Maryland, so I wasn't in a frat. I didn't go to this school, but I was calling these people anyway and just sweating through my shirt, trying to get meetings on the books. And I did it. And the reason I did it is because what were my options? I couldn't go work in a cube. You know, I I hear people say all the time, like, uh, well, I don't know. I don't know how to get clients. Yes, you do. That's bullshit. You know exactly how to get clients. You can pick up the phone and you can call people. 
You can show up at, at chambers of commerce. You can do all the things you just don't want to do. It's just that you're not willing to do it. But that's what it takes. It's going to cost you something. 2000 rolls around. I moved on from Northwestern. I joined a different company. And uh, so now I've got a whole new different branch to deal with, new compliance rules to handle, a whole new selling system to, to understand, um, just a lot of chaos. And I hit the club again. I hit that, uh, that production club again. So first three years in the business, didn't know anybody, uh, didn't uh, have any connections, switched companies, a lot going on, you know, no apartment to speak of, um, nowhere to hang my hat, the, the, you know, just a lot of chaos, and, and yet I'm, I'm performing. 2001 jo- uh, comes around, and at that point, I had about $75,000 of credit card debt. I remember 9-11 hit. And four days after that, I closed on my first townhouse that I bought. I don't know how that happened, but back in the early 2000s, they gave you credit no matter who you were. It <laughs> didn't matter. And so here I am, 75 grand of credit card debt plus student loans, loans plus car loans, and now a mortgage that I couldn't afford. So I have a four-bedroom townhouse in a place called Herndon, Virginia, and I had three other roommates because I couldn't afford the mortgage, which was probably $900 a month. 9-11, you know, people forget, but it basically shut your business down, especially in the world of finance. The markets were a disaster. You know, people were just scared. Um, in fact, 2001, 2002, 2003 were brutal years in the financial planning industry. Um, but 2001, I end the year again hitting that club. So four years in a row. Now, l- let me just stop right here. I'm not trying to, like, toot my own horn. The, the point of it isn't to say, oh, look how great I am. The point of it is to say, your excuses don't hold water with me. They just don't. The You don't know enough people or that there's been a lot of things going on or I don't have time or all the crap excuses that I hear over and over and over, they just don't hold any water with me. If you want it bad enough and you're willing to spend the money and spend the time and spend the, <laughs> frankly, the, the emotional capital to get better and to do your job, You'll find a way. I don't care what industry you're in. 2002 rolls around. Guess what? First year I didn't hit club. No really good reason for it. I got no excuse. Just didn't. 2003, same thing. Uh-oh. So four years in, I hit club every year. And being told, oh, I'm going to be amazing. I'm going to be you know, super successful. I'm going to be this. I'm going to be that. I'm going to be speaking from stage one day. I'm believing my own press. Back of my baseball card looking pretty good, right? Then 2000, 2002 uh, and three roll around and nothing. All of a sudden, I'm a nobody. Because in this industry, in every industry, it's what have you done for me lately? It's Giancarlo Stanton hitting 59 home runs last year and then getting off to a difficult start and then booing you. And I'm going to be honest with you. People are rooting against you. And you know it's true. Anybody who's had success, people around you, I'm not talking about your family or your kids or your wife or your husband. I'm talking about the people around you. They're secretly kind of rooting against you. You know why? Because they don't want to put in the work. They don't want to make the sacrifices to be successful. And when they see your success and the sacrifice you have to make in order to get there, they know it's possible, but they don't really want to do it themselves. So if you fail, they can, they, they, now they have a built-in excuse. Ah, see, it doesn't work anyway. I don't have to do that. 
You know, Joe, Joe, he was lucky. But what I had going for me is that I could look back for the first four years and be like, you know, I'm just being a lazy ass. I can do this. I've done it before. I'll do it again. I'm young. I've, four years I did this, and yeah, now two years in a row I didn't. 24 months in a row, I was nobody. <clears throat> I wasn't making a lot of money at the awards, you know, luncheons and what have you, at these sales. Like, I, no, no, no love for Joe. I was nobody. Nobody wanted my opinion on anything. It was hard getting referrals. My, my, um, my self kind of worth was going down. I mean, I had all kinds of stuff going on, but I did have that one little spark that said, well, wait a minute, I have done this before. So let's just get back after it. Maybe I wasn't putting in the time. Maybe I wasn't putting in the work. And I recommitted myself at that point because what I knew is that if I continued down this road, I might always hang on, but I was never really going to make any good money. And all the things that would not come to me because I was just being too damn lazy, I was too satisfied with mediocrity. All the things that wouldn't come to me because of that, it was unacceptable to me. And I had some good coaches alongside of me back then. I wouldn't have called them coaches then, but it was true. And so 2004 rolls around. That's the year I got married for the first time. (laughs) I got married October of 2004. That year I hit club again, and I would never miss it from that point on. At that point, from 2004 until this year, I've hit a club every year, higher clubs, <clears throat> um, lower clubs, but I've always hit a, a minimum club level, always. Income has gone up every year. I've never had a decline in income. And let me walk you through what's going on during these years. So 2004, I got married. 2005, I bought my second home. In 2006, I decided to sell the two homes I owned in Washington, D.C., pick up my new pregnant bride, and move to Memphis, Tennessee, where I had been literally once in my life before. I knew one person in Memphis, Tennessee. That person was not going to buy any financial products from me because guess what? He was already in the industry. I had no connections there. It was a brand new town, pregnant wife. I had to buy another house in Memphis, a lot going on, again, a lot of turmoil, and yet income went up. 2007, my first daughter was born. I also decided in 2007 to completely change the way I did business. I took everything I knew about the financial planning business, and I threw it to the side, and I adopted a a completely new sales process and uh, technology and really from scratch. Just, just got into it. In fact, even in, in that year, I received uh, a certified financial planner designation, which is kind of a difficult thing, I guess, historically to get. Um, and so I did that. The same year that I moved, the same year that my daughter was born, uh, brand new city, brand new sales process, everything, income went up. 2008, nothing really that remarkable happened. 2009, my son was born. And the Yankees won the World Series. But Less important. My son was born. So now I've got a toddler, a stay-at-home wife in a brand new city, and a newborn son, and income goes up. By 2011, I was divorced. And some of you know that story. And if you haven't, go listen to that Victor Marks podcast. I'll, I'll talk, you can listen to the raw emotion of what happened. Um, and, you know, listen, I, I'm going to tell you, there's two sides to everybody's story. And sometimes in divorce, and, and, and things are what they are. 
Um, and there's betrayal in divorce. There's betrayal when a business uh, partner you know, walks out on you and, and, and leaves you dangling. Like, I mean, it, you know, whether it's marriage or not, a marriage is the most raw, I think, because it's, it's you know, you stand in front of God and, and you say, till death do us part, and then, and then it doesn't work. And I was distraught. I mean, I lost 40 pounds. I had no idea. I had the big loser on my forehead, I felt like. I was no longer a family man. My whole, my whole why, so to speak, you know, the whole family thing, it was just gone. I didn't know where my kids, how, how much I was going to see them. I didn't know if they were going to even stay in, in Tennessee. I, I just had no idea. And income went up. 2012, I meet my current wife. Now I just call her my wife, Jamie. And we met early in 2012. We were engaged within three months. We were married in December. She lived in St. Louis. My stepdaughter lived in St. Louis. I lived in Memphis. My kids lived in Memphis. Had to figure that out. Now we've got two homes, two cities, brand new wife, (laughs) a new stepdaughter. Income goes up. 2013, Rolls around. We've got now two new homes in two states. We had to build a house in uh, St. Louis. Uh, had to navigate back and forth, back and forth. Income goes up. By 2015, my uh, our, our youngest daughter, Rosie, is born. I now have a situation where I am only uh, in Memphis every other week. Um, that's when I had my kids, Ava and Gavin, and then I'm back up with the brand new house, a brand new baby, and we've got stepdaughter. I've got a lot going on there, trying to figure out St. Louis, the whole area. Income goes up. 2016, 100% custody is granted to me and Jamie over my two kids, uh, Ava and Gavin. And <clears throat> the road to that was uh, windy and difficult and expensive and time-consuming and emotional for both of us, me and Jamie. A lot going on. A lot going on. Income goes up. 2017. 2017 finds me now basically working out of my main office eight days a week. or eight day, I'm sorry, eight days a month. I spend most of my time in St. Louis where my office isn't, where my clients aren't. Um, you know... I hear an income goes up. And again, I walk through this and there's so many pieces that go on in, in everybody's life. Everybody has things going on. But as I coach you guys and I speak to you when I you know come see you or you see me on stage somewhere or you engage with me one-on-one, I keep hearing the same thing. It's, I don't have time. My schedule's too busy. Things are crazy. I got a lot of personal stuff going on. I'm just going to stop you right there. I really don't want to hear it. I mean, as a coach, I'm not here to, you know, I think we just have too many people that are willing to say it's okay and wipe your nose and say, oh, it's okay. You know, you'll go get them next time. What's the next time? You're running out of time. That back of that baseball card, if you go back and you look at the players who played for 20, 25 years, I mean, 25 years is a long time in baseball. 20 years is a long time. Normally, it's like 12 to 14 years if you're good. And that time goes so fast. And in our careers, we can work 30, maybe 35, 40 years. But how many years have you already been in business, in financial consulting, in business building, in nutrition sales, in, um, I don't know, car sales, anything? How many years have you been trying to build a business as an entrepreneur 
where the back of your baseball card is mediocre. And why? And why is it mediocre? And I'm going to tell you why. It's because you have built-in excuses for everything. Now, there's good news here. Because, I, I, again, I, I listen to these podcasts, and, I, and it's all motivation and this and that, and you can do it, and da-da-da-da-da. You know, you know what? That's, I'm not that guy. I'm here to give you the confidence that, yeah, you can do it. The question is, will you? Are you willing to do what it takes? And what does it take? A lot. If you're not willing to do it, go work at the corporation, which is fine, which is, which is beautiful for some people. Think about it. You could go work at a corporation, make a very good living. The downside is you really don't own your own life. The corporation does. And if they tell you to move to a different city, you're going to move. And if you have to go fight for a promotion and be political about it, that's what you got to do. It's a different game. It's a different set of rules. And for some people, that's the rules that they want to play by. And I think that's great. And even in that world, though, when you don't get the promotion or when you don't get the title or whatever the case may be, the excuses come pouring in. I hear a lot about work-life balance, and I got to tell you something. I think that's not true. I think it's garbage. There's just life. This work-life balancing, it's a, it's a phrase that we hear just like the you can do it or what's your why or all this other kind of stuff. And that stuff is, is good to a point. But practically speaking, you need some real tactical things that you can go do. And I'm going to tell you right now, if you haven't done them already, and you're in your late 20s, in your 30s, in your 40s, you've got this self-talk in your own head that says, why would I do it now? I've never done it before. What's going to be different about it now? That's what you're saying to yourself. If you're really being truly honest with yourself, that's the conversation you're having with yourself. That's why the back of the baseball card is so freaking important. Because when I look at mine and I hit a rough patch, <laughs> no matter what it might be, it could be economically, emotionally, health, anything, my internal conversation is it will work out because it always has. I can always rely on what I've done. And if you don't have that yet, you better start getting after it. So how do we do that? Well, if you've been following me at all, you know the answer to this a little bit. One, you got to have a purpose. You got to have a mission greater than just economics. You got to understand what is the purpose. What's the purpose for the money you're trying to make? Really, what's the purpose? I hear people say all the time, like, love, it's great. I hope it's love. What if it's not? What if it's security? What if your main purpose for money is security? What if your main purpose for wanting to be a business owner isn't money at all? It's, it's time and freedom and travel. You got to get clear on that. You know, one of my main missions in life for me and my family is to always be at play. It's not the money. The money is just the conduit to let me do that. I don't really care what the house looks like or the car or any of that so much. It's more about being at play. And it took me a long time to get there to figure out that's actually what I was, <laughs> that's the game I was playing. Once I became clear on that, though, man, everything changed. When I would take client meetings changed, who I would work with changed, what I said yes to and no to changed. Got to have a mission, got to have a purpose. Number two, really, and this is in no particular order, man, you better have some discipline. And most of you don't have it. Now, the good news is this is a skill set. You can acquire it. We've talked about it on this podcast many, many times. And I'm just going to keep repeating myself because it's true. 
if when people say I have no discipline, I'm like, cool, let's get some. You can acquire it. It's not going to be fun. It's going to take some unconventional learning, probably kinesthetic, probably using your body to teach you discipline. The cool thing is once you've acquired discipline, which is a perishable skill, like it'll, it'll go away if you don't exercise a disciplined muscle, but once you acquire it, you can point it at anything. If you can learn how to get off sugar for 30 days, then you can learn how to call people for 10 days in a row or show up to a business owner uh, you know, and, and introduce yourself at the, at the golf course. I mean, you can do anything with discipline. You got a purpose. You got a discipline skill to point at that purpose. And now you need a team. And this is critical. And I mean, you really need a team and multiple teams at that. Now, Jamie's on my team, my wife, but she's not on all of my teams. Like, So I've got a different team as it re- relates to, say, business per, per se. And Jamie works on a lot of the, my business stuff with me, but not in the financial business. In that team, I have my operations person. I've got my marketing person. It's a different team. Personally, though, I've got Jamie. I've got my coaches that I employ. Some is just personal relationships. Some I actually spend a lot of money, tens of thousands of dollars a year on these coaches to help me because I've got blind spots like you do. I need a team. You cannot do this alone. It's too dynamic. There's too much at risk out there anymore for you to do it alone. And to, to have the, I don't know, the, the, <laughs> the balls really to think that you can become great by yourself is ludicrous. It's going to take you jumping out of the, the airplane window with a parachute. <laughs> it's going to take that. You have to drop some coin. You're going to have to do some uncomfortable things. You're going to have to wade into your emotions. You're going to have to, you have to handle some of your baggage. You're going to have to do some things that you don't want to do. You're going to have to pay some people to walk you through it. You're going to have to go out there. You're going to have to travel. You're going to have to get on the road. You're going to have to go through some unconventional learning with other people. That's what you're going to have to do. Or not, but understand the back of the baseball card doesn't get any better on your own. You know, Bryce Harper, another baseball player, not a huge fan of the guy, just don't care for him. But I will tell you this, this guy was up seven years old, eight years old, 12 years old. He was up at five in the morning working on baseball because he knew he had the talent, but he had to work and he had to do what other people weren't willing to do. And how many people do you think when he was 12, 13, 15 years old were like, dude, what are you doing? You're not going to be a major league baseball player or worse when it became evident that he had such good talent and people were telling him he didn't need to work. Because he was already going to be a professional baseball player. That is what team is for. Because the team, the the, the brothers and sisters that you put around you that are engaged in the same um, not unorthodox kind of view on work and life and and success and, and increasing your ability to perform, those people, when you put those people around you, it's what we call, uh, the military anyway calls us a force multiplier. You know, when, when you take a special operations uh, soldier and you put him in a regular uh, battalion, you know, as like a leader or, or as an attach on, it's not one plus one equals two, it's one plus one equals 10. And that's what a lot of successful business coaches will even tell you is that when you mirror up your, maybe your unique abilities and talents with other people's unique abilities and talents, you've got a multiplier effect. You can't find that sitting around the common people that you find in your office every day. You have to go out and find the people who are on a different path. I'm on a different path. And it's not necessarily to make $5 million a year, although that may happen. It's not that at all. 
It's to be happy now. It's to be close with God now. It's to be around my family now. It's to be at play now, not just always in the future, now and in the future. That, that is a powerful ambition. Whereas a simple ambition would be more along the lines of like, oh, I just want to be a better golfer. Power is now in the future. It's not a balance. It's not an either or even. It's a, no, we're going to do all of it. But man, getting that back of that baseball card up, and there are some of you that I just, I, I view from afar, and I see like interactions on social media, and I watch you guys on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, and I think, ah, oh, the talent, the amazing talent that's out there, but what are you doing with it? Why is it not working? No discipline? Cool. We can teach you that. No team? Great. Find one. No mission? Purpose? Hey, me either for many, 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 many years. And then when I thought I had one and it was blown up through divorce and changed, I had to figure that out on the fly. Life doesn't take a time out. No excuse. No, I'm too busy. None of that. Doesn't, doesn't, doesn't play. Doesn't work. So, you know, today I just, I just look at social media and the coaches out there and I wonder, well, who are they? And what are their successes? And where have they been? And why won't they share that with us? And why don't they tell us more about themselves? And I guess, you know, maybe, maybe it's self-serving. Maybe if somebody gets on like I just did and they read their, their resume, so to speak, I don't know, maybe that is self-serving, but I, I don't see it that way. It certainly wasn't the intent. The intent is to explain, hey, we all have the same crap going on. We all are too busy or are getting married, or are getting divorced, or are having kids, or maybe having people pass away. We're all having challenging situations. We all have financial um, uh, things that we have to deal with. Debt, crushing debt in some circumstances. Industry regulations that change. All kinds of things. We all have this stuff. So what makes it different for the 10% of you out there who say, I want this to be different. And then what is it about the 10% who listen and the 10% of those people who say, not only do I want it, I'm going to go get it. I'm going to find my team. I'm going to put people around me. I'm going to put people around me, whether it's in my industry or outside, who want something that I want. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to get out of my normal community. I'm going to travel. I'm going to learn unconventionally. I'm going to try new things. I'm going, to, I'm going to spend money. I'm going to invest in myself. What is it about those people that are different? And you know what I'm going to tell you is really not much. The only kind of common theme I find, and, this, and you're, you guys might even laugh at this as you hear this, the common theme I find among the most successful people that I tend to hang around, and I'll include myself in this, is that they've got a very, very, very challenging background. They did not have life too easy. It, it, it could take a variety of, you know, I, I've talked to people that, are, that have been sexually abused growing up. I've talked to people who had, you know, single parent homes. I've talked to people who had no parent homes. I've dealt with people who have lost a spouse or a child even, who have been through divorce, who have handled, um, uh, who have handled fathers walking out on them, moms walking out on them. 
childhoods, it's just you would you would look at it and say, oh my god, like they've got every reason just to kind of pack it in, and those people are crushing life. Now, it's not always the case. I know there's a fair amount of people who also have challenges in their background who really do just kind of fold up the shop and fold up the tent. But I will tell you, it just seems to me that I don't come across many people who had a really rosy childhood who are, who are doing unconventionally well. So if you're listening and you've had a difficult childhood or a difficult early adulthood, or massive struggles even as an adult, health, emotion, physical, whatever. That doesn't preclude you. In fact, it's actually almost a, it's almost an inclusion of you into a group of people who I really think um, could rally around each other, could be good teammates for you, could explain to you, interpret your failures um, that are your fault and others people's around you. Maybe things have been done to you. Those failures, they have to be interpreted for you. These are so important because you have to be able to turn those, th- that, those defeats and those things that have happened to you and they're real and they're raw and they're emotional and it's, it's real stuff and it's not rah-rah. You know, I'm not Tony Robbins who's going to like use word manipulation on you and just sort of fix it and bandage it and have everyone clap and bang drums and jump on trampolines around you. That That's not, in my belief, that's not real. But man, you can take that stuff and you can tap into that raw emotion and understand it, interpret it, and make yourself way stronger and better and set up a, a, a set of principles that you live by and surround yourself with a strong team and do things others aren't willing to do. And you can lose the 30 pounds or 40 pounds. You can 10x your income or even just double your income or have more free time or have the better relationship with your spouse. Those things are all very available to you. Just takes a lot of work, takes team, takes purpose, mission, takes all of it, takes the ability to compartmentalize and detach a little bit. It takes learning leadership. And once you get all that, and you can turn it back onto your business, and you sit with your client, you move very differently than you did before. And that is where success really tends to come from on the business level. And it's no different on the personal level either. So those are just some of the things that were on my mind today um, as I navigate through the, the Instagram of the world and seeing uh, uh, you know, everybody out there and, and kind of what's, what's going on out there and what's being sold to everybody. Um, and we'll just end with this. Um, this is our eighth uh, podcast. We uh, I have a lot of other kind of subjects in mind, but I'm, I would love it if you guys had anything on your mind that you'd like for me to talk to. And we can be reached at uh, foxholepartner.com. Uh, go over there. There's a lot of articles, a lot of blogs, things like that. Everything's free on there. Just go check it out. Um, leave us a note. Leave us an email. Uh, tell us what you think. Tell us what you're looking for. Love for you to review the podcast, by the way. That always helps. I'm trying to get the word out there uh, on the podcast. And then finally, uh, speaking of social media, if you'll follow us on Joe DeLisi, uh, comma, Foxhole Partner, singular, Foxhole Partner on Facebook, um, I engage an awful lot on there. We do challenges and I put thoughts on there and back and forth. And um, I think that the uh, environment we have on there is pretty dynamic. It's pretty cool. So those are the things that uh, I'd love for you to do for me if uh, you've enjoyed any of this podcast at all. And uh, until next time, we will chat again.